Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And the word of the Lord reads, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Kevin Van Hooser once wrote, The gospel anticipates a a world far different from C.S. Lewis's Narnia, where it is always winter and never Christmas. The promise of the gospel is that it is always Christmas. To be in Christ is to enjoy each morning as a Christmas morning with the family of God celebrating the gift of God around the tree of life. So while you have your Bibles out, will you turn with me to John chapter 8. We're going to look really briefly at verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When you read through the Gospel of John, you may notice that there are several reoccurring related themes that John uses to communicate the truth about Christ. They are life, light, darkness, and world. All throughout John, you will see these same themes repeated again and again. You will see these same words again and again and again. In John chapter 9, verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John chapter 12 says, so Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a, a little while longer. While you Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. 
The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Verse 44, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as, a, as light, so whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And perhaps the most famous section of John would be chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. For God so loved, what? The world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked hates the things of the light and does not come to the light, lest the, his works should be exposed. Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Light, life, darkness, the world. What we see from this repetition of these themes is that John is developing an overarching theme, a theme that says that Jesus is the light that comes into the world and shines into the darkness in order to bring life to his people. That's the overarching theme of the Gospel of John, that Jesus is the light that comes into the world and shines in the darkness and brings life to his people. Right? Who come out of the darkness by believing in Jesus and now walk in the light. Who themselves become reflections of that light and beacons of that light for the rest of the dark world to see. In fact, what did Jesus say? In Matthew, he tells us, you are the light of the world. A city, set on, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Again, life, light, darkness, and world. Repeated themes throughout the Gospel of John. These four themes really are the summary of the Gospel. Right? Because the sin of Adam, because the sin of Adam, the world descended into darkness. But Jesus, the light of the world, came into the world to bring life. Right? That's the summary of the Gospel. That's what we tell people time and time again. This is the reason why we celebrate Christmas. The light came into the world to bring life to those who were dead in the midst of darkness. And that's the theme and the purpose of the entire Gospel of John, and that is what John communicates right from the very beginning. And so as we prepare our hearts for Christmas this morning, as we prepare our hearts for tonight, as we invite our fellow community members here to, to listen to music that is centered on the light of the world and a Gospel message that's centered on Him, as we prepare our hearts this morning, let's walk through John's prologue to his gospel together as it bears witness to the light coming into the world and shining in the darkness so that his 
people can live. Again, in John chapter 1, verse 1, notice how he opens up with the familiar phrase, in the beginning. This phrase should immediately remind you of something else. It should remind you of the beginning of the Bible. It should remind us of Genesis chapter 1. In fact, that's exactly what John wants us to do. He wants to bring our minds and our attentions and our hearts to the beginning of all things. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And what follows then is the creation of all life. Life, light, darkness, and world were the themes from the very beginning too. But understand, John is purposely taking our minds to this point in creation and, and the redemption story, the very beginning before everything else was created for a reason. Right? What John means when he writes in the beginning is, is the very starting point of all things. In fact, that's what the word in Greek means, the starting point. It's the moment everything else began. This is the moment the entire universe came into being. It's the moment that time, space, matter, and energy all leapt into existence. Because before that moment, there was nothing else. Not even emptiness. Not even the vacuum of space. This is the beginning. This beginning is the point that all of the theories of physics and quantum physics point to but cannot look past. This is the beginning where science points to but, but can't explain. Because as we know, something cannot come from nothing, right? But, that's, but there you have it. That's the point of finite history. When there was a creation and just before creation there was nothing, nothing but God. No heavens, no universe, no earth, no angels, no created beings, just God himself in his full glory. In Genesis, it points us to that. Notice how it, how it reads. In the beginning, God existed with no creation, and then God created the heavens and the earth. And this expression, heavens and the earth, means all other things that are not God. God created all of creation, right? And there was a point that there was only God, and there was a point that there was God in his full creation. This is the place where John is purposely drawing our attention to, this precise moment. It is, it is this place where he writes, in the beginning was the word. This short phrase right here, it's just a few words, but it is so full of theological meaning, so full of life for us to, to wrap our head around. Because this expression in English that we translate as, as the word was, this past tense 
verb of to be, was. This expression actually in the Greek form means simply existence. It means to exist. There's not any connection to time with that verb. And this is important because what John is saying is in the beginning, at the point when God created everything else, the heavens and the earth, the word already existed. The word existed before the beginning of everything else. And this verb that we translate as was is the same root word that Jesus uses over and over and over again when he speaks of himself. I don't know if you realize that. He, it's the same word when he says, I am the light of the world. It's the same root word. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the bread of life. More specifically, before Abraham was... I am. All of these expressions are about existence without any beginning. All of these expressions point us back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses asked what God's name was, and what did God say? I am. Meaning, simply, I exist. And so what John is saying is in the beginning, the moment of creation, the word already existed in eternity. You remember, time doesn't begin until creation starts because time is itself part of creation. Before there was time, there was simply eternity. An idea that our finite minds struggle to even be, to, to begin to approach. And John was saying the moment that time began, the word was already there existing in eternity which means the word is not part of creation. The word is something else. Well, then what then is the word? Well, John answers that for us. And in verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. John is referring in verse 14 to the incarnation, right? The reason we celebrate Christmas in fact, John further explains, and we have seen his glory, glory is the only son from the Father. The word son of God, the word is the son of God. He is what we call Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And John says that before creation happened, the son of God already existed eternally. And so he continues, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Brothers and sisters, this is the foundation of the gospel and the Christmas story and all of our Christian theology right here. The Son of God existed eternally before creation began. And John says the Word, or the Son of God, was with God and the Word was God. And this is an essential truth we need to come to terms with because so many people will say that the Son of God really isn't God, but some creature that God created, the first creature that God created, maybe like the archangel Gabriel. Or that maybe that the Son of God was actually a man at one point who came into the world and, and lived a perfect life and then became God by his good works. John rules that out very quickly. 
Others will, will say, well, well, yes, he is the Son of God, but he is also the Father and the Holy Spirit, that there's no distinction. There's only one person, and the Word, Jesus, is all three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But, but John does not allow either of these perspectives in this very simple beginning of his prologue. Notice how he is careful to make clear the distinction. In the beginning was the Word, the Son of God, who existed eternally, and the Son of God was with God and was God. Now the term with, again, the Greek word doesn't really mean simply just being together with in the same room. Like, we're with each other here. But the idea of this word actually is much more intimate. It means almost literally face to face. Right? The Son, in other words, eternally was in a face to face relationship with the Father. This expression speaks of intimacy and closeness. In the beginning, the Son was with the Father in a face-to-face relationship, which means the Son and the Father are not the same person because they're in community together. They are in relationship with one another. They are face-to-face eternally with one another. But right after he makes this distinction, John also is very quick to say that the word was God. And again, the word was here means he existed, which means he existed eternally as God. And so here's what John is saying. In the beginning, before creation or anything else, before the heavens and the earth, before the angels or any other created being, the Word, the Son of God, eternally existed, and He eternally existed in a face-to-face relationship with the Father, right? Who is God. (coughs) Excuse me. And He existed eternally as God. And then to emphasize all of this, he says, He was in the beginning with God. And so Jesus, the Word, the Son, of God is God himself, which means then the first Christmas that we celebrate, God became flesh. That's why Christmas is so special to us, right? Christmas is not about a special person who was born and became a great man. History is chock full of great men who've done many great things, and we celebrate them and have birthdays for them, but there is nothing like we celebrate for Christmas. Christmas is not the birth of a wonderful teacher. Jesus was certainly that, but he was more than that. And there's been many wonderful teachers all throughout history, and we at different times celebrate them, but guess what? Most of them are long since been forgotten. And he's not just some important prophet. Even our Our Islamic friends will acknowledge that he's a prophet. Christmas is special because God himself came into his own creation. And it is his creation, by the way. Notice in verse 3 it says, All things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. The expression in the Greek emphasizes that the Word, the Son of God, is the very instrument that that all things were created by. He's the very hand that created them. All things were made by the Son of God. And this is important because we see here in this verse the distinction between God then and His creation itself. This is a distinction that I think we need to make as, as Christians. 
the creator-creation distinction. Oftentimes when we kind of get sideways with, with God as we forget that He is altogether different than us, that He is completely eternal and He is completely holy, He is completely righteous and just. The Word or the Son of God is eternal, uncreated, and everything was created by Him, the Son of God. And so when, when we read Genesis then in a whole new light, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We understand that to mean that in the beginning, the Word of God, the Son, was what created the heavens and the earth. And so what that means is God himself came into the creation that he made to be with us. This is the miracle of Christmas. God came to be with us. You see, a lot of people expected God to come to start torching and tearing everything down. He came to be with us, to walk with us, to identify with us, to walk in our shoes, to bear our burdens, right? In fact, that's what the name Emmanuel means. We sang that this morning, oh come, oh come what? Emmanuel, what does Emmanuel mean? It literally means God with us. And so what we see is John is declaring that the Son of God is eternal, he is distinct from the Father. He is also God. He is the creator of all things. And we see that he is also, then, the light of the world. Notice in verse 4, John writes, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now again, we see the same verb, was. And this conveys the same sense of eternity. In other words, in the Son of God eternally existed life. Life was a part of the Son of God from all eternity. What does that mean? It means a couple of important things. First of all, that life is an attribute of God himself. Life is one of his attributes. It's part of who he is. Just like sovereignty is an attribute of him, just like love and omniscience and justice, life is also an attribute of God. That is why the Bible refers to God over and over again as what? The living God. This is contrasted to all the false gods because they're dead. They're not alive. In fact, that's why God, if you read the old prophets, he makes fun of people for worshiping these lifeless objects that they made by their own hands because he is the only living God. But God is the living God. Life is an attribute of who he is which means then he is the very source of all life. And that makes him the light of the world. He is the very source of all life. All living things derive their life from him. In fact, one of the things that I was talking to another pastor about is all that is good is actually derivative of God. The life that you live today is derivative of the life that God has because he's the source. Christ is the source of that, right? That means the people that you know and love who are not believers, who are atheists, guess what? Their life is still bearing witness to the attribute of life that God is the source of. It's the same thing with love, by the way. I don't know if you realize this. Right? We, we gave toys to over 150 children in this community as an act of love because we love the kids in this community. 
But this was a team effort. It's not just First Baptist Church. I mean, I'm grateful for all the volunteers who did the, the brunt of the work to make it happen. The, vo- the volunteers who, who did the work to pull this off. But we worked with and teamed up with people in Ridgecrest who provided toys. We, pr- we, we teamed up with the California Highway Patrol who provided toys. We teamed up with people who were at Edwards Air Force Base who were buying presents for particular families. We teamed up with the businesses in the town to be able to collect toys. Right? We teamed up with people who are from various backgrounds and various different places, some believers, some not believers, and I'm going to tell you, all of them, every one of us did it for the same reason, because of love. And that love is derivative because what is God? God is love. And that means then all of us simultaneously are demonstrating to these children the love of God, even those who, do, who would deny his very existence. I find that so ironic, actually. But it's the same thing with life. So not only did the Son of God create the world, he is the one who gave them life because he is the source of life, all life. And this life is from the Greek word zoe, which one of our favorite uh, youth group members was named zoe at one time, which conveys the idea that, that both physical and temporal life, but also spiritual and eternal life. John is saying that the Son of God is the source of all life, physical and eternal Physical and spiritual, all forms of life are from him. But 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 the way this but the way this is the but, but this is actually the reason why then Jesus can say the words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the reason why, because he's the source of life. He says, no one can come to the Father except through me. Why? Because Jesus, the Son of God, is the very source of life. You cannot have life from any other source but him. But notice John says, this life was the light of men. Now, what is is John saying here? The life that is the Son of God, not only is it the source of of their own life, but this life is the light of men. What does that mean? Well, well, what does light do? Light gives life, obviously, but it also illuminates. It drives out the darkness. It reveals. Well, what does the light of life from the Savior, from from the Son of God, reveal to men? It reveals the very existence and the character and the nature of God. God has revealed himself in creation by the life that's in him and by the life that he puts in the world. In fact, Paul says of this revelation in Romans chapter 1, he says, for what can be known about God is what? It's plain to them. It's visible to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely eternal, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. The life of the sun is the light by which mankind sees that God exists, that God is indeed real, that God is is there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, 
And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. In the beginning, light came into the darkness, revealing God's glory, revealing God's creation, revealing God's goodness. And what John is getting at is not only is the Son of God the eternal creator of all things, and not only is He the author of life, but He Himself is the instrument from the very beginning that reveals to mankind the truth about the nature of the existence of God. He is in every sense the revelation of God to man. That is why, <coughs> excuse me, I believe that, that, that John used the word logos. In fact, the word logos in Greek, which is we translate as word, this word logos in Greek thought was, the, was, to, was thought to be the unifying principle of all things. It was the thing that holds the entire universe together, right? Which is exactly what Paul leverages in Hebrews chapter 1 when he says, right, he, Jesus, is the radiance or the visible manifestation of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Even Greek philosophers who lived in the darkness could still grasp the very idea of the word, of the Logos. The Logos was the reason and order in the cosmos. The Logos was the reason why things move and were balanced and why life existed. They could grasp that. They could, they could see it. The Logos, the word of life and light, is what reveals the glory of God. The Son of God reveals God. The Word is the revelation of God to man, and He is the very expression of God. Mankind knows God because the Son has revealed it to them. That's why Paul says mankind is, is without excuse. Because the Son of God, who is the light of the world, reveals God to the world. And then John says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Well, what is this darkness that he speaks of here? I mean, it's obviously not referring to physical darkness, because it was part of the natural world. In the beginning, there was light, but then also there was the light and darkness and cycles. What is this darkness that he's referring to? He's referring to spiritual darkness. This is the darkness of sin that entered the world because Adam and his transgression, the darkness that came, that, that has corrupted the hearts of men, the darkness that has invaded and corrupted all of creation, the darkness that has, that has brought disease and famine and hatred and decay and death and heartbreak, the darkness that has been growing and continuing to grow. It is the darkness of falsehood. It is the darkness of evil, the darkness of of death itself. In fact, I don't know if you realize it, but in the Bible, light and darkness usually reveal three common themes. The first one is life. Light obviously represents life, and, de and darkness, death. The second one is morality. Light refers to purity or righteousness. Darkness refers to evil or sin. And the third has to do with the truth. Light represents the truth and darkness represents the lie. 
And what we need to understand is that there is a connection and a relationship between all three of these, and there has been from the beginning. The serpent came into the creation, into the garden, and he spread darkness through one lie. What did he say? You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Through this lie, darkness got a foothold into creation. And then the darkness spread even further when Eve sinned by eating the fruit and giving it to her husband, who then didn't do what he was supposed to do by protecting her. And he became complicit. And then the darkness spread even further as death followed sin. And this darkness spread to all of mankind, as Paul in Romans reminds us, that sin came into the world through one man and death through him. So death spread to all men because all sinned. And so the darkness has has been growing and spreading and threatening all of creation ever since then. But John, in spite of this, gives us hope. And he says the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, the expression overcome it, in some is translated as the darkness has not grasped it or grabbed hold of it. And it's the same idea. It's that the darkness is trying to take hold of, of the light to do away with it. But it can't grab a hold of it. The light of the Son of God who created all things continues to shine and bear witness to the goodness of God. The darkness has not been able to overcome that. The light of the truth of who God is has never been extinguished. Even when mankind is at his very worst. The light of God's divine nature has never been put out. The light of God's holy and righteous character has never been overcome, even in the growing darkness. Right? That's why everyone still knows to this day that God exists. That's why, I don't know if you know, but children instinctively know that there is something beyond this world. They instinctively know that there is a creator. That's why all cultures look towards the heavens in search of something transcendent. It is universal. That is why the world cannot get rid of this deep longing, this deep needed for a relationship with God. The darkness cannot overcome it. The Enlightenment philosopher, if you remember, Voltaire declared that Christianity is a dying religion. He thought it was going to be dead in 100 years. The 19th century um, philosopher Nietzsche declared God is dead. Remember that? And in the 20th and 21st centuries, many people believe that science and technology has proved that there is no God. But still, in spite of all of this, the light still shines in the darkness. That's why the whole world, whether they want to or not, whether they mean to or not, still celebrate Christmas. There are non-believers out there in the world still today buying Christmas presents. Still saying things like, Merry Christmas. (coughs) The light shines in the darkness. And then John says, excuse me. The true light that which gives light, gives life. Excuse me, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The miracle of Christmas. This was the, the glorious truth of the incarnation. The Son of God came to the earth and became one of us. And he came and, and brought light into the darkest parts of the world. And you know what the darkest part of the world was? The hearts of men. 
God the Son came into the darkness of the world to bring light of the fullest revelation of God. Paul says in, in Colossians 1.15, he is the image, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heavens and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus came into the world as the fullest, clearest revelation of God. In fact, Jesus himself says in John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And again, he said in John chapter 12, he says, whoever sees me sees he who sent me. I've come into the world as a light, and whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The light has come into the darkness as the fullest revelation of God, but notice then John says, he came, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. The light of the world come, came into the world and then was rejected. Why? The author of life, the one that, that many were waiting on, the creator of the universe condescended to come into creation to shine in the darkness and reveal God to the world, but he was rejected. Why? Because as John said, because as Jesus himself said in chapter 3, the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things, hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. The true darkness that exists in the world is not a physical darkness when light is absent. My family and I, one time we went to Washington and we went to the eight caves. Um, it's just lava tubes of part of Mount St. Helens complex there. And it's like a mile and a half long, just cave. And when you get in the middle of that cave and you turn off the lights, that is the darkest I have ever experienced in my life. You cannot, I mean, to, to explain how dark it is, it's just beyond comprehension. That kind of darkness <clears throat> is not true darkness. True darkness is not in caverns or in places where physical life doesn't reach. True darkness exists in the hearts of men in the caverns of the hearts of men where they don't want the light to shine, where they don't want their deeds to be exposed. <clears throat> hearts that have been twisted and hardened by sin, hearts that are hopelessly bent on darkness unless something radical happens to them. In fact, that's why Jesus says to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is what? Born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus realizes this is a, that, that's, no, that is a radical transformation. He even asks, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water, which is physical birth, and spirit, which is spiritual rebirth, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
The heart of men, because of sin, had been hardened and had become dark. And what is needed is radical transformation. The light has come into the world not only to bring uh, the light of truth, but to transform the hearts of men. Notice John says here, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. John says that those who receive Jesus and believe in his name are given the right to be children of God. But if mankind's heart is so hard, then who can actually receive him and believe in him? Well, John says this right is bestowed on people not on the basis because of blood, in other words, genetics. This speaks to those who, who have thought throughout history that simply just having the genetic traits of being Jewish, that somehow that made them God's people or God's family. Even still today, there are those who think that Jews, because they are genetically Jewish, they're part of God's family automatically, but it's just simply not true. Your genetic makeup does not make you part of God's family. Your DNA does not give you the right to be a child of God. John also says it's not by the will of the flesh. This speaks to family membership. So many years when I was a, when I was a young child, I believed I was a Christian just because my grandma said we're Christians. I didn't believe anything. Many people believe that they have relationships with God because they were raised in a Christian home or have a Christian family. Your relationship, right, isn't about what your parents have done. And then notice it also says that it's not by the will of man. And this is the one that many people struggle with, right? But it is the truth. We don't gain entrance into the family of God because we simply just become very spiritual, that we just suddenly, you know, are excited about spiritual things. Because on our own, our hearts are so dark, we don't really want a relationship with God The Apostle Paul says, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. We were born, as Paul said, dead in our sins and trespasses and born into darkness. And this darkness permeates our whole being. It corrupts our minds, our bodies, our emotions, and our will. Our hearts become filled with this darkness. If we're going to come to God, something then must radically change. That's why Jesus says we must be born again. We must be radically transformed. This is why Jesus came into the world. He came to live the perfect life that you couldn't live to fulfill a law you couldn't keep. And then he died to make atonement for your sins, past, present, and future, right? The the sins that separate you from God and keep you locked into darkness. And Jesus died in your place, taking upon himself the fullness of the wrath of God, the wrath that you deserved. And then he was buried, locked in the darkness of a garden tomb. But the darkness couldn't overcome it. Because three days later, the light dawned as Christ rose from the dead, conquering forever sin and death and darkness. And he sent his spirit to bring conviction of our sins and to break up these hardened hearts of stone and to illuminate our minds so we can be able to see the truth. And then he sent others in his name who carry that same light with them into the world, which is the light of what? The gospel. Others were sent by Christ in his name to bring to us the light of the gospel. And with 
renewed hearts. We heard the message and believed. That is, if you're in Christ, that is your experience. God did something. He sent someone. You heard. You believed. And this, and it is then the light of Christ enables us to receive Him as Lord and Savior and believe on His name and become children of God. The light of Christ shines into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. And we are then enabled to receive Him and believe in His name. In the beginning, God, the Word, created the heavens and the earth and said, let there be light, and the light cast out physical darkness. And that same God came into his own creation, born of a virgin, to be with us and to shine the light of glory, of the glory of God into the spiritual darkness that has enslaved the hearts of men. And the same God sent the Holy Spirit to bring light into the darkness of men so that they can be illuminated to the truth of who God is and their need for salvation. And the same God sent his image bearers. People just like you. People just like your grandma who shared with you the story of Jesus a thousand times. That same God sent his image bearers into the world to bring the gospel to everyone around them. That when they heard the gospel, when you heard the gospel, you received Christ and believed and were saved. That is the miracle of Christmas. And as always then, what do we do with that? Well, if you have never put your faith in Christ before today, but now you, for some reason, you've been convicted, your heart has been pierced, you have been opened, and you've heard the truth, and you feel a need now to put your faith that you know that you need salvation. Run towards the light. Turn to Jesus and be saved. Repent and believe the gospel. Today is the day of salvation. And I would call upon you, if you are someone who is ready to receive Christ today, come talk to me afterwards. I want to help you to be able to take that step and walk into the light. If you are in Christ... As always, rejoice. <laughs> rejoice in the light. And rejoice even more because now we're celebrating, the whole world is celebrating that the light has come into the darkness. And even in the midst of, of the darkness that still surrounds us, even in the midst of hurt and brokenness, we can still rejoice that God had not left us to our own devices. He had not left us in the darkness of our sin. That He came into the world to rescue us because why? Because of his love for us. And then finally, as always, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. The city's not set on a hill. I mean, the city's set on a hill so that, it, so that it can actually shine, right? You don't light a, a, a candle in a room and then cover it up. You put it on a stand so people can see it. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. And you can do that in many ways. I'm not saying you got to be that obnoxious Christian that stands there with a sandwich board yelling at everybody, right? 
But you can let your light shine by simple things like giving toys to kids. You can let your light shine by helping your neighbor and loving on them. And then telling them about the love of Christ, giving them a gospel tract, inviting them to come to your church, be with them, love them, help them through difficult times. God has given not only the light into the world, but He's given the light in you now. Do you realize that, brothers and sisters? We are the image bearers of God. This, is, this comes full circle all the way back to Genesis. He says that let us make man in our image. You are never more like God than when you are loving your neighbor and sharing the hope of Christ with them. Do you realize that? This Christmas, my encouragement to you is find someone in your life that you can then take the light of Christ in the darkness and let it shine in their little world and then pray for God to do what only He can do to open their hearts so that light maybe then would shine in there and they would receive Him and be saved. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.